networking really is more about enjoying spending time with people and getting to know them a little bit and not looking for something out of that conversation. Welcome to Conversations with Connors, a NetworkWise podcast, and I'm your host, Adam Connors. NetworkWise trains and educates individuals and organizations in the science and art of networking to accelerate sales, personal development, and career opportunities. In Conversations with Connors, I talk with a variety of highly successful individuals in order to gain insights on how they built, maintain, and cultivated their relationships in order to live a life by design, not by default. Today, I had the opportunity to sit down with Mike Pfaff, the president of the Long Island Ducks. For those not familiar, the Ducks are the gold standard of independent professional baseball teams within the Atlantic League. During today's conversation, you will get the opportunity to learn the story of the Ducks' origin, as well as Mike's role in putting them on the map. This conversation is an intersection of baseball, business, and being a good person. The one constant throughout this is the importance of relationships and how Mike is the epitome of being a quote-unquote team player. Yes, the pun is intended. Mike is a what-you-see-what-you-get type of guy. He's very matter-of-fact, is a man of integrity, and is very bright, which complements his dry sense of humor. Needless to say, I enjoyed sitting down and getting to know him. It was also fun to do our show at a stadium, which I would encourage anyone to check out that lives in the tri-state area. As you will see, it's an experience from the minute you pull into the stadium to the moment you leave. This is all done by design, as you will hear about in our podcast. Rather than steal all the thunder of the show, let me take you directly to my conversation with Mike Pfaff. Enjoy and make it a great day. Mike Pfaff in the house. Mike, thank you for uh, coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. We're sitting here in your, is it, do we consider this your office, your conference? What do this we, is our conference this, room, yeah. Your, your, the... your palace. I mean, this whole <laughs> place is amazing. Thank I really, you. For those who don't know who Mike is, Mike, give an overview of kind of who you are, where we are today, and what it is that you've built. Sure. Well, we're sitting in Bethpage Ballpark. I didn't build it, but <laughs> Petroselli Contracting did back in the year 2000. I am the uh, president of the Long Island Ducks, and Bethpage Ballpark is the home of the Long Island Ducks professional baseball team. We are a team that plays in the Atlantic League of Professional Baseball. And for most people that don't know a lot about minor league baseball, they're used to hearing the classifications of minor league baseball. So single A, double A, triple A, and then major league. The Ducks and the Atlantic League are open classification. So we have players and can sign players with MLB, AAA, AA, or single-A experience. So you really see a nice mix of ball players and a great product on the field. And to give you an idea, we start spring training in a couple of days, and of our 25-man roster, 17 have major league experience on this year's club. So you're usually a very talented group of players. And from a player personnel perspective, those guys come here for an opportunity at better opportunities to better their career, to take the next step, whether that's getting signed by a major league club or an overseas job, or a winter league job. And the only other objective we have is to win. So it's really pure, best nine play. There's no bonus babies or mm. <laughs> player development. You know, We're here to win baseball games, put on a good show for the fans, and help players get better opportunities from an on-field perspective. So in this league, I mean, you guys are the gold standard. Is that a fair statement? I think so. I mean, there are some teams that might try and argue, but they'd be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think from an attendance perspective, we've had the highest attendance over the course of Atlantic League history. We've welcomed the most fans to the ballpark. 
We've done a tremendous amount of helping players in terms of getting back to the major leagues. We've had some of the best stories, including Rich Hill, who went from the Ducks to the Red Sox and then the A's and now the Dodgers. He's made $60 million since he left Long Island. So it was a great story. But we have a lot of stories like that. Carlos Baerga was the first player to get back to the majors after playing on Long Island. That was in 2001, just our second season. So there's been a long line of players just like Carlos and Rich in between them that have gotten back and have utilized the Atlantic League for what it was intended for. Mm. What do you attribute your success versus some of the others that are in the league? There are a few things. I mean, number one, we have a great market. Long Island is a densely populated market, but you also have to have a really good product and you have to work very hard. I think that Anybody who just pops a tent up and thinks that they're going to do great because it's a dense population is in for a rude awakening. You have to make sure that you deliver on your promises. Our promise is to be the cleanest, safest, most fan-friendly way for people to spend their discretionary dollar. And if we don't meet that promise, people won't come back. But fortunately enough, we've seen this is our 20th season. Fans continue to come back, which means we've fulfilled our obligation and made good on our promise. So it's my understanding there's a, a pretty good story behind how you ascertain this location. Okay. Is there a story behind there? Well, I understand there's some competition. This location for the Ducks? Yeah. So tell me what story you're talking about, well, and I'll uh, tell you whether it's true or oh, not. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I, oh, I thought the Mets were trying to get this. I thought the organization that they were trying for this. this well, one. not this specific location, but baseball on Long Island, professional baseball on Long Island. And Frank Bolton, who is the founder and CEO of the Atlantic League, was a owner for affiliated baseball teams. He owns some Yankee and Kansas City Royal affiliates. I believe a Seattle Mariner affiliate as well. And his dream was to bring professional baseball to Long Island because he was someone that had grown up and spent his life on Long Island. He thought that he had the votes and that it would happen in, I believe it was 1991, at an MLB owner's vote. And uh, it got voted down. And Frank said, you know, I'm not going to be relegated to having to stick by these, you know, or adhere by these guidelines any longer. I'm going to create my own league and I'm going to be independent of Major League Baseball and we're going to put a ballpark in Long Island and we're going to draw millions of fans. And he was right, you know, and he had incredible vision and determination and work ethic in order to make that happen. And the Ducks, after 10 years after that vote, you know, it took, the ballpark was built, thanks in large part to uh, New York State Economic Development Court grant championed by Senator Owen Johnson. And the county owns the facility. And on their $5 million investment, they've seen a multiple of over four times come back to them in revenue. So it's been a success by any measure. And it all started back then in the early 90s with that fateful vote. Wow. So we're going to get back to the Bucks. I'd like to transition into your background. Okay. Um, pretty fun role that you have here. Do you mind giving us kind of a high-level overview of what your role is, what kind of the day-to-day and then I'd like to rewind back sure. into what brings you here. Okay. I'm the no guy. I tell everybody no. <laughs> As the president and general manager of the Ducks, I oversee the baseball and business operations of the team. From the business side, we have four areas of revenue we concentrate on, tickets, sponsorship, merchandise, and concessions. And it's about trying to make sure that your expenses stay in line and maximizing your revenues, which is difficult to do because our product is really based as it's all affordable, right? It's about affordability. And if you lose that, you lose one of the drawing cards of your product. So 
staying affordable in this market where everything goes up. You think about the cost of labor in this market, what it's done in the last five years. It's gone from seven twenty-five an hour to now it's twelve, and in a couple of years it's going to be fifteen an hour. Yeah. When a lot of your lines that are attached to it, such as payroll tax, your workers' compensation, is all based on salary. So gross salary goes up, payroll tax goes up. By the way, that's why all the politicians say they're for it. They're not for us getting paid more at the end of the day. It's one more tax. But um, ultimately, it's a real challenge. And Long Island being a bedroom community of New York City, everything is more expensive. So we're not immune to the rising cost of doing business on Long Island, but we've maintained our commitment to being the affordable family entertainment option here. We don't compete against the Mets or Yankees. We compete against the movies. We have $12 tickets and free parking. But ultimately, it's sponsors that help underwrite the cost of that ticket. So going out and getting sponsors, it's a 12-month sales season. That's really, from the business side, something that I'm hyper-focused on throughout the course of the year. On the baseball operations side, it's about putting the right people in place. There are approximately 1,200 free agents at the end of Major League Spring Training, and you have 25 spots to fill. So you can be selective. And we try to be selective. We want to get people who are not just good players, but also good representations of the uniform and the logo. We want to get people who want to be here. You know, it's not jail. It's a push bar, not a padlock. If you don't like it, you can go. We, We want people who appreciate the opportunity and understand that if everyone here wants to be here, it won't really be like work at all. We'll all have a good time and ultimately win some games. You know, on the field, we want to win. We want to help players get better opportunities. And I think we've been successful on both sides, the business and the baseball operations side. But that's really my overarching responsibility. What's the biggest challenge or what's keeping you up at night? I think that the biggest challenge on the business side is, again, the rising cost of doing business here. And there are a lot of things you don't control. And I'll give you a good example. A couple of years ago, we were fortunate enough to complete a project to put LED lighting on our field. Our field lighting was all LED. I think we were the first team to play under LED field lighting in minor league baseball. There were a couple of others that went off the same time we did, but we'll say we're the first. So uh, <laughs> tie goes to the Ducks. But yeah. <laughs> um, we were anticipating a much higher reward. You know, everyone said, oh, you're going to save so much money. And we believed it. You know, there were some estimates when we first met with Musco, which is the vendor that we chose, very well known in the industry, they said, this will draw 20% of the power of the 2000 watt metal halide bulbs you currently have. So we were very excited, anticipating big savings. And at the end of the day, we realized no savings. And according to Musco, we were the first account they ever had that didn't realize a savings by putting LEDs in. And ultimately, it took a lot of digging and a lot of conversations with PSEG Long Island and other people to find out what was going on. We had our meters tested and everything else. And at the end of the day, it was really, I think, related to doing business here on Long Island and in New York. It was decoupling fees, which the definition of is being charged for energy you don't use. It was an increase in rate fees. It was an increase in the demand. They charge you a demand surcharge. And it's a very popular thing to when you're speaking to blocks of voters as a politician to say, you know what, everybody, don't worry. The corporations are going to pay for it. Those big, bad corporations that use all this energy, we're going to make them pay for it. And everyone cheers. But at the end of the day, when the corporations pay for it, they have to raise their prices. So we all pay for it. And 
with the ducks, we've seen no savings on the LEDs. So that's a microcosm, one small little thing that when you think about your biggest challenges, it's trying to rein in the expenses in this market where expenses are exploding. You think about health insurance, utilities, Uh, labor, cost of goods, everything's exploding. And we're sitting here charging $12 for a field box seat. So that's the thing that keeps me up at night. And there are a lot of little things along the way that you jump into each foxhole. It goes deep, Mm. very deep. And it's a huge challenge. But also on on the revenue side, trying to retain sponsors, be creative, put original thought into things that we can do to retain ticket holders, season ticket holders, sell sweet leases, being creative and giving some people, everyone wants more sizzle and wants something really exciting. So trying to maintain that is also a challenge. Mm. Do you like what you do? I love what I do. (laughs) I get up every day and I come to the ballpark. It's a beautiful thing. What do you like most about what you're doing? I think that the fact that it's something different every day, you know, I can literally sit down without a plan and things just whether it's my inbox or my telephone or someone who walks in or a meeting that may occur during the day, my day can take any direction. And I try to have a plan, but what's the saying? Mike uh, Tyson, you're yeah, right, right. until you get punched in yeah, the exactly, face. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> or, you know, or, or man makes plans and God laughs, you oh. know. But I think the best part is the unpredictability of it. I think that I'd get incredibly bored if I was just kind of doing the same thing over and over again. And here it's kind of like, Every day is a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. So, Forrest, have you been here since 2000? I've been here since 2002. 2002. Yeah. So, you've been here yeah. from the get-go. From a long – well, from the, yeah, about the third season on. Yeah. yeah. So, the team was formed in 99, new place in 2000? 2000, yeah. Gotcha. First season in 2000. And then you took over. So, how did you get to the position that you're in today? What brought you here? I graduated uh, St. John's University in 1995. I had a internship at the NFL. I was fortunate enough to get hired full-time at the NFL after my internship at the uh, commissioner's office in New York City. And I thought that my long-term goal or desire was to run a PR department for a team in the league because I I loved that side of the game. It was more like being involved in the game, the numbers, the statistics, the performance of the players – That's what it was really focused on. And I was decent at writing, so I enjoyed the writing and kind of creating content. Can I stop you for a second? So you knew, though, sports. You knew the industry. There were only two choices for me. (laughs) It was music or sports. And I loved playing drums and I loved sports. I loved playing sports and being around sports and watching it. And so it was one of those two that I was – I wasn't very good at anything that I didn't have a passion for. And when I had a passion for something, I could do almost anything involved in it. So I knew very early. In fact, my father bought me a book that was titled, Do What You Love and the Money Will Follow. And I was only like 15 at the time, but it made a lot of sense. And thinking about college in a couple of years and where you want to go and what you want to do, I started looking at majors in colleges and there were very few sports management programs at the time. We're probably around the same age. And that was like late 80s. And there were like maybe five or six decent sports management programs. Now, the proliferation was incredible in the late 90s and early 2000s. Almost every college has it. But um, I looked at it and St. John's had an amazing internship program. They had internships with NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. So I worked hard there and was fortunate to get an opportunity and that's how I got involved in sports. Hmm. But that was years ago. So then how did you get to where you are today? What was the journey? Well, I... Worked there for seven years, and I saw that a lot of people that were getting opportunities to run PR departments for NFL teams were people that had experience running their own departments, whether it was on a minor or major league level. And my resume just said the NFL. 
I was one of 22 people in a league office PR department. And I knew that I needed to kind of differentiate my resume a little bit. And I started to look at jobs running team PR departments. And the Long Island Ducks, I was aware of because they were successful when they took off in 2000. And I saw that they had posted for their director of media relations job or director of communications. And what happened here was the GM of the Ducks left and the director of communications became the general manager of the team. So they needed someone to fill in his spot. So I came and interviewed with him in November of 2002 and was hired here in that role. And I thought, I'll be here for a year, maybe two. And then the St. Louis Rams or someone like that will call. And they were St. Louis at the time. Um, (laughs) Someone like that will call and I'll go lead their PR department and uh, be back in the NFL. But I had a lot of success early on in sales and that separated me from the pack a little bit. I saw that I enjoyed it. I liked going out and meeting people and telling them about the Ducks and how the Ducks can help their business and how we can work together. I think that a lot of those relationships are people trusting you and building trust is kind of the key to relationships. And when people put that trust in you and then see you do exactly what you said you were going to do, unfortunately, that's in short supply these days. So that separates you as well. What did you do to do that? Like, how did you develop these relationships and who were the types of people or organizations that you were developing these relationships with? It was really everybody. I was fortunate that when I came to the Ducks, they gave me free reign to kind of go out and go after any sponsors I wanted to. So I was meeting with owners of car dealerships, owners of local shops, meeting with directors of banks and people that made marketing decisions for them. And I think in my first week, I had met with a Volvo dealer and he wound up buying an outfield billboard and some season tickets. And we had some TV commercials to sell at the time. And he bought that as well. And I just enjoyed talking to him. You know, like I, I wasn't looking at it as a sales call or anything like, oh, going and making sales calls now. I'd never done it in my life. I was more looking at it as it's an opportunity for me to go talk to somebody about baseball. I'm talking to someone about the Ducks. You walk in, it's not like you're selling widgets or vacuums. You're going in there and, hey, the Ducks, how you doing? So tell me about the Ducks. What's going on? How's Buddy? What are you guys up to? So I enjoyed it. You know, I enjoyed going out and not being in the office all day, but getting in my car and going on appointments and meeting people and kind of spreading the gospel of the Ducks. And once I had some success in that arena, I became noticed by ownership and the GM for being someone who drove revenue to the bottom line. And a couple of years later, our assistant GM left and they made me assistant GM. And a short time after that, the general manager left and they promoted me to the interim general manager spot. And I think I did all right there. They promoted me to the full-time GM spot in 2006 and in 2011 to team president. Wow. So what has been the biggest impact that you've had on the organization? What would you say or something that you take the most pride in? That's a tough question because I try to approach it I don't really think about it as me. I think about it as we. And I hope that what I've provided people is an opportunity to achieve and an opportunity to be part of something that people that we hire, whether it's interns or assistants or people that are managers or directors, hopefully I've offered them an opportunity to grow, an opportunity to be themselves in this environment and be as successful as they can be, be part of a a team that achieves really good things and a really fun place to work. So what's your style? What do you do to develop that? culture. I think your style has to be a little different for everybody. You know, people are different. They're human beings. And at the end of the day, I do 
hold people to a high standard. I want people to achieve. We have goals. We have individual goals. We have team goals. We're constantly meeting about sales and things that we have to focus on. But inside those meetings, we're talking about things that individuals do, but also what we need to do as a team. Once we get out of the meetings, I'm not micromanaging. People are doing their jobs. I'm letting people who have expertise in their areas do their jobs, but I'm always there to make sure that they have the backup they need in the event they need it. You know, I want people to feel supported. I want them to know that my door is always open, but we try to run a very tight ship here. At the end of the day, it's got to make dollars to make sense, right? And we try to be profitable and it's not the number one goal to be a fun place to work, but it is a really good byproduct to bring in everybody together that is here for the right reasons. Yeah. You talked about relationships before and trust. What is it that you've done throughout the years to develop the relationships and more importantly, the trust? Yeah. Do what you say you're going to do. That's the number one thing. I think that when you tell a sponsor that this is what the product is going to be, this is how we're going to execute it. Here's what I'm going to do for you. And then you follow through on that and you execute it and hopefully you can exceed their expectations. But you do exactly what you said you were going to do. That's the first step. And that's an important one because if you blow that, where are you starting? And it's very difficult to regain. So I've always really prided myself on being someone who hopefully is completely truthful and gives people the best possible value. But at the end of the day, like I treat their money like mine and I want them to be successful because I know that if it is successful, it will grow and they'll want to come back and they'll want to continue the relationship. So that's always kind of been the approach. What do you think some of the other teams that you're facing, what are some of the other challenges? you think they're going through some of the same challenges that you're going through or it depends on what region they're in or versus how good the team is and how important, I guess, is the success of the team? Have you noticed a, a parallel in terms of you guys are doing better, ticket sales None. do better? Really? Zero. Yeah, it's amazing. You That's know, we, interesting. We are a team that is for the casual fan. We're a minor league baseball team. People don't die with the Ducks wins and losses. They die with the Yankees wins and losses. You know, if the Yankees are in the playoffs, they fill Yankee Stadium. If the Yankees lose 10 in a row, they're getting killed. If we lose 10 in a row, people come in. They go, fireworks tonight? You know, that's all they care about. (laughs) So it's really about the promotion. A lot of times people come in here. They don't know the team we're playing. They don't, you know, if you saw somebody who came to the game the night before, you say, so you enjoyed the game? Yeah, it was great. How'd we do? I don't remember. Uh, who'd we play? It was the team in the red jerseys, I think. It's more about, I had a great time. Yeah. You know, but did you have fun? Yeah, I had a lot of fun. So, so what are you doing? What kinds of, ex- to create those types of experiences, what are you doing? Well, the first thing, you know, it starts in the parking lot. And, you know, a lot of times people forget about the parking lot, but it's the first and last touch point. So we have our front office staff out in the parking lot and I have them out there because, those are the people that are truly dedicated to this. They're not people who punch a clock, come here on a Saturday to gain a couple extra bucks, might yell at someone, might be rude to someone, uh, not represent the brand the way we want to. But they're people that are dedicated to it. They're people that love it. They're people that live and breathe it. So I have at least one of our front office staff out in the parking lot at all times as kind of the leader. And then we have very trustworthy people out there that are kind. And what's easy when you're not collecting money, you just have to be nice. And we're kind of like air traffic control on those nights. And it's the little things. We ran out of handicap parking, but we're going to follow you to your car in our golf cart. And we're going to drive you to the entrance of the Westgate. Or we're going to let you drop 
grandma off, bring her up the stairs. We're going to help you bring her up the stairs. If you need a wheelchair, we're going to radio ahead to the EMTs and have a wheelchair brought downstairs. You know, it's the little things that make people feel special, but it starts out in the parking lot and it ends out in the parking lot too. So at the end of a game, especially a fireworks game where all the cars are leaving at the same time, we have more staff out in the parking lot than we do inside the ballpark. So we're making sure that people are getting a nice, easy way in and out of the ballpark. Can I tell you an interesting story? I'm going to botch all the statistics, but you'll get the (laughs) genesis of this. I forgot what year this was. This is a few years back, but Disney had a drop and they couldn't figure out what it was. And I'm going to give you the real short story. The punchline is they trained their, I don't know what you call the people that are just cleaning up their sanitation. Yeah, their clean crew. Their, Their cleaning crew. They said, listen, you're not just cleaning crew. You are an ambassador of Disney. Because what happened is people used to ask questions, this and that, and they say, oh, I'm just cleaning. I don't know. And they dismissed them and they didn't pay attention, but they got them to buy into the bigger vision that we are creating at Disney. We're creating an experience. So what they did, they just did trainings and they got them to buy in and to see what people are coming to Disney for. And I forgot what the spike in business, but their return their return customers, I want to say like doubled. It was like a, a ridiculous difference. And it's back it to your lot. point. It's those little experiences that can be the difference, the make or breaks. You talked about the gold standard before. Disney is the gold standard. That's mm. who we want to be and provide that experience. And whether it's cleanliness or affordability or ease of use or ease of access and egress, that's what we want to be. So it's funny that you mentioned that when I first pulled in, I actually noted, so Pat, who you met that was here before, I'd actually commented about the cleanliness and like the appeal. That was actually one of the first things that I said. So it's really interesting that, yeah, no, it's real. Yeah. It starts out there and then it continues inside. It's about the overall experience. It's about the entertainment experience, but it's also about the bathrooms. Mm. You have to make sure that the bathrooms are clean. You know, (laughs) if you have bad bathrooms, your wife's not going to want to come. Your kids aren't going to want to come. You're probably not going to want to come. So Staying on top of that, we have people that rotate in and out of the bathrooms. They're literally on bathroom watch all night. We have signs posted in the bathroom with a phone number to call if it needs attention. So the cleanliness is something that we're always on top of. And then the product has to be a good product. The field has to look great. The team has to play well. They don't have to win every night, but they can't lose 13 nothing. The promotions between innings are really the fun part. In fact, we had a uh, on-field host who once said that baseball's the stuff that happens between promotions. So I thought that was good. And it's true to a certain extent. Some people, they go to the bathroom when the game is occurring so that they don't miss the t-shirt toss or they don't miss the sumo wrestlers or the things that happen between innings. So now where did all of this come from? How much of this experience that you're creating here comes from something that you learned in school versus something that you maybe you've just gleaned from seeing what other teams are doing or are you reading nonfiction? Where's a lot of this coming from? Where are you deriving this? This is, well, it's not just me. Uh, You know, obviously this is a team effort and uh, a good example is this off season we had our promotions committee meet every Wednesday to talk about our on-field promotions, between innings promotions, thoughts and ideas. We gave our entire staff homework to do, come up with new ideas for our 20th season, but not just write down an idea on a pad, but actually build it out and tell us how it's executed and how we're going to pay for it. And what are the things, mm-hmm. what's the sponsor's Making responsibility? So, and we got a lot of really good things out of that. And one of the things that happened was this off season, we used to have two scripts for our games. Now we're going to have four, which means more new promotions, different scripts every night. If you're a season ticket holder that came to 70 games in the past and you saw a promotion 35 times, now you're going to see it 15, maybe 10. 
And you're going to see a lot more, I think, vitality to the program. And it'll be fun. But good ideas come from people thinking on their own and then bringing it to a group and really building it out. What are some actionable tips that you've learned from your competitors? Do you go to any of the other stadiums just to see what they're doing? Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's important to take a look at and realize what you have too, because sometimes people don't think of the benefits of their own facility until they go to others. And a good example here on Long Island is the Nassau Coliseum. I'm an Islander fan. They're playing tonight. Go Islanders. I hope they, <laughs> they do well. But the bathrooms are very tight. And it seems like it's built to about a 10,000 person spec because everyone goes to the bathroom or to the concession stands at the same time in an arena like that. And here, our bathrooms are also built to about a 10,000 person spec. So even when we have, we're over capacity, we have a 6,000 seat ballpark. We have 7,000 people here on a fireworks night. People aren't waiting online at the bathroom. People aren't waiting with their kid outside the bathroom for 15 minutes to get in. And that's a really important part because if I miss half a period of action because I have to take my son to the bathroom, that impacts the experience. Here, that has never been the case and really never will be. So focusing in on the things that are real positives help you with conversations with people when you're talking to them about purchasing tickets or a suite or the things that could really make an impact on the experience. But focusing on the experience of the customer, it's hard to think of a lot when you're not the customer. So when I go to other arenas and ballparks, I am writing down who their sponsors are. I'm writing down the promotions that the crowd like the most. I am taking notice of the cleanliness. I'm looking at how they operate their bathrooms, their concession stands, their pricing, how they promote their upcoming games and events. And if I see anything that I think would make sense for us, I'm definitely coming back and trying to incorporate it on a duck's way. How much do you use data to determine some of the results of what you guys have implemented? Data is really important. We have exit surveys for our fans every year. We ask them a lot of questions and provide ample opportunity for them to give us feedback without a question being asked. And we definitely base decisions off some of the feedback we get. We also through our customer relationship management software, have the ability to see when people have purchased tickets in the past. And if they don't have tickets, for example, if they've purchased tickets every July 4th fireworks and they don't have tickets this July 4th fireworks and it's June 27th, we give them a call and make sure that they're coming out on July 4th. Yeah. So it's important to be able to break down the data and really glean what it means. Someone, again, that person who came every year on the 4th of July, they obviously like fireworks. Hey, good upsell is, did you know that we have fireworks also on August 18th and September 4th? I can get you tickets for those as well. So how much of what you've built, how much of that lends itself to attracting the talent, meaning the players? Not a lot. It's Mm -hmm. great for the brand awareness. I Mm -hmm. think when people, we've come to the point now where we've had so many players with great major league careers come here. And that's a fantastic part of the baseball operation side and a great story on that end. But from business perspective, I've never had a client say, I'm buying a billboard because Dontrell Willis pitched for you. I've never had a customer come to the window and say, I need to see Ramon Cabrera play tonight. That's why I'm here. So for us, it's really about, again, making sure that the product's a good product. We're doing everything we said we were going to do. People have a great experience, customer friendly. Again, most people who come to the games don't even know who's on the team. These are like two businesses in one. Kind of, kind of. But it's important that you have a good team because it's like the old song says, 
root, root, root for the home team. People yeah. don't want to come out and see the Ducks get blasted. They want to see them win. So they root really hard for the Ducks when they're here. It's a New York market and a New York crowd. But then when they go home in a couple of weeks, you know, if we make the playoffs at the end of September, they go, I got soccer on Saturday. Good luck. I hope you guys win. <laughs> yeah. What are you foresee are some of the biggest challenges moving forward as, as the years go on? Yeah, it's remaining fresh and remaining relevant and trying to keep the lightning in the bottle here. Mm. And, you know, again, containing those expenses and hopefully being given some, I think one of the things that it gets underrated very often is the assistance that municipalities can give. You know, this is a county-owned ballpark. And I know that they're dealing with a lot of things, but many times you feel that whether it's the public or even the owner of the building, in this case, the municipality, sometimes you might get taken for granted. Mm -hmm. And this is a really good thing. And the Islanders, we just talked about, this is a great example. The other night, I'm watching the Islander game and the crowd, the energy, it's sold out. Nassau Coliseum, right? They closed it a couple of years ago. And this place is sold out. It's rocking. The Islanders are playing great. They're doing great business. And I thought back to all the years Charles Wong lost $20 million a year and tried to get a new arena built and everybody put up the stop sign and nobody listened. And he ultimately moved the team to Brooklyn. And it wasn't until the team left that everybody had a real passion for it again. And it's like, you don't know what you have till it's gone. That old saying that everyone's familiar with, but I feel the same here. This is an incredible thing that people have. And I just hope people continue to appreciate it. You can never tell. You can never look in a telescope and see 10 years down the road, but you hope that 10 years from now, people love it as much as they do now. And we're just working as hard as we can to keep, that's what keeping the lightning in the bottle is. How important is it, those relationships that you have with government, with the officials? I think all the relationships are important. We've been fortunate that we've had a good relationship. The current county executive, Steve Ballone, comes out here with his kids and values the Ducks as part of the community. And we try to be as involved in the community as we can. We have a 501c3, the Quacker Jack Foundation, that donated last year to over 900 different organizations. And we've we formed that in 2003. But relationships with municipal leaders is very important. Relationships with the workers that work for the municipalities is important. Being a good steward of their property is important. I think that that goes a long way, hopefully, to the way that they respond when you need something. And I think that as we continue to move on here, it'll only get more important. Before I let you go, something that I do, random questions. Okay. Give me a number between 17 and 59. 17. All right. Good one. Keith what? Hernandez. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> it's good that you are a Mets fan, I guess. Then. I grew up a Mets fan. That's yeah, true. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> so how great is it then having Wally as your, I mean, tell me about that actually before we get into number 17. Sure, sure. Well, Wally, I first spoke to in 2017 and he was in Mexico at the time. And I've really gotten to enjoy knowing him. He's, you know, a lot of fun to be around and speak to, but he's a competitor. He's a winner. He's somebody that really does know the game of baseball. And I worked with him last year with the New Britain Bees, bringing him over to New Britain. And this year, I'm really excited to have him here on Long Island because I'll get to work with him every day. Yeah. I mean, he is fired up. You want to talk about a competitive spirit and a passion yeah. for the game. Yeah. Yeah. So that must have been also just the fact of being a Mets fan growing up. I mean, you were clearly in 86, <laughs> you know, you were- I was 15 in 86. Yeah. So that was, that was awesome. Yeah. Oh, it was yeah. a good year. Yeah, it sure it was. was. Good year. Cool. Number 17, ready. What is something that you know a lot about, but don't have to necessarily be an expert in, but that you could teach me? 
I could probably teach you how to play drums if you have a little rhythm. Ooh, I've got none. Yeah, <laughs> zero. But yeah, I'll call challenge on okay. that one. Then. Okay. All right. <laughs> all right. Give me all right. Seven. Oh no. I'm sorry. Next question. Between one and fourteen. Give me a number. Seven. Seven. Any nervous habits? No, not really. Wow. Impressive. No nervous habits. Wow. All right. Then I got to go another <laughs> one here. Ready? One. Give me another one to fourteen again. One to fourteen. Yeah. I'll go with three. Bud Harrelson. Nice. Tell me a day that you've had that you'll never forget. I'll go with a Ducks day that I'll never forget. Okay. Obviously, you okay. know, everyone will say the birth of their children, yeah. which is the number one thing. But thank you, by the way, because yeah. I usually <laughs> clarify. I usually like do that. Oh, okay, you know, but, uh, or this or yeah. One day I'll never forget with the Ducks. I'll do an on the field moment because that is what most fans will remember too. We were playing the game five, decisive game five of the 2012 championship series against the Lancaster Barnstormers, managed by Butch Hobson. And they were an excellent team. They had set the Atlantic League record for wins that year. We were a decided underdog in the championship series. So we made it to this decisive game right here at our ballpark. And this is October of 2012. And we were winning 4-2 to two going into the ninth inning. We brought our closer on. So you feel pretty good about that. Uh-huh. And the first, up, by the, way. <laughs> <laughs> the first pitch hit the Pizza Hut sign in left field. So it was 4-3 before we had any outs. And long story short, with two outs, runner on third, balls hit to our shortstop, Dan Lyons, who was the most shorthanded shortstop. That's the one guy you want the ball hit to, right? So this is the third out. We're going to clinch and rush the field and celebrate. And Dan gets the ball. He throws it in the dirt, goes between the first baseman's legs to the backstop or the uh, dugout railing, and the run scores, and it's 4-4. Oh, man on uh, – did he – Man on second. second. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. yep. you know, we got the third out, get into the dugout, and we go to the bottom of the ninth inning. And I'll make a long story short here again. Now no, we're good. first – telling a good now story. Now we're first you know? and third. Dan Lyons comes up, runner on third base. It was actually runner on second at the time, okay? Matt Esquivel. If you listen to Matt, what's up? <laughs> the uh, – Pitcher on their team throws a ball to the backstop. Matt goes to third. Next one almost goes wild too. So now we have a 2-0 count. Two outs, runner on third, and the guy who's currently the GOAT, right, through the winning the third out away at the plate. This crazy guy squares, bunts, drops a perfect bunt down the third base line, winning run scores, walk-off bunt championship 2012. Wow. Did he rogue or did he did – he, Yeah, it was cold? rogue. Yeah, it was he, rogue. It wasn't a sign. He didn't give him the sign. He laid it down. Oh, man. That's crazy, right? Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine if he popped it up? No. Like after throwing no, away the third I, out. Yeah, yeah. That takes amazing stones. Yeah, and, it sure does. you know, a really smart play and great confidence in yourself. So kudos to Dan Lyons. Yeah. Uh, he was the uh, championship series MVP. He also cleared the bases – in our game two win against a closer who hadn't blown a save all season that year. So he had a great series and we won that year, but it was an amazing win. And it was right here on this field. The other two championships we have, we clinched on the visitor's field. So this was the one we had at, at home and that'll be an unforgettable memory forever. Wow. I get two questions on that. Number one, what's Dan doing now? Dan was here for eight years. He played, it's just such a great story. You know, he was released from single A ball in 2011 we were giving a player uh, by the name of Javier Kalina, a great baseball player, who was mainly a second baseman, but he wanted to play shortstop. That was his prerequisite for signing with the Ducks was, I have to play short. 
So we were going to give him an opportunity at shortstop, but it was like, eh, I don't know, can he play short? You know, we didn't really have a shortstop to back him up. So first day of spring training, it was kind of over and over again. You know, Javi looked good, but what happens if he gets hurt? What happens if, you know, he has the, an issue down the road? So I was kind of combing through all the free agent releases looking for shortstops and then kind of sorting the list by fielding percentage because we're just looking for a glove. You know, we're not looking for somebody who can hit and hit 300 and have some pop. So I was looking at it just based on defensive statistics and looking at those metrics. Dan Lyons was kind of near the top and he had Carolina League experience, so only high A. And I called him. He had never heard of the Atlantic League before. He had just gotten released and he took a chance on coming to the Ducks. And that first year, he was kind of our utility guy. And the next year, he was our everyday shortstop. And from there, he became in 14 the first player in Atlantic League history to win the Rawlings Gold Glove Award, multiple time All Star, two championships. He owns a couple of Ducks records, but he's a guy that could potentially one day have his number retired here. And uh, it all started with that one phone call. Wow, so, that's a great but he's story. now a assistant coach at the University of Minnesota. And uh, he got this opportunity this offseason. He doesn't know if he's definitely hanging it up as a player. But for right now, he's not going to be part of the Ducks this season. So we wish Dan all the best. He's a great guy, great player, and hope that everything goes well. At Sounds University like it's of just the next chapter, the next inning, yeah. I should say, of his yeah, life. Now, absolutely. my other question is you you were drawn play-by-play. Play. Is that just because it's such a spectacular moment or you typically remember <laughs> – Every, I mean, I, there's some people that just have that ability to do that. And I'm I remember the you. important stuff, I yeah, think, okay. you know, I don't know that I can recall uh, the 2007 game against Camden in the middle of July, but you know, I'm going to remember that, that yeah. game forever. Well, I don't know, again, this is switching, but to like basketball, like they say, you talk to uh, My- Michael Jordan or LeBron, they can tell you 2002 game against like, they'll know the play. They'll know they'll, like, they'll have yeah. that specific who they passed to, where they were on the court. They've got that vision and that memory. So cool. Yeah. Sean McVay does that too. Oh, really? With the LA Rams. The, yeah. The, oh, I did hear that. I did. He hear can that. tell you if you tell him the uh, time, the quarter, who they were playing. He can tell you exactly what play they ran and the outcome of the play. It's a little creepy. What's he doing now? He's the head coach of the Rams. Yeah. Is he still? Yeah, they went yeah. to the Super Bowl last year. Um, he gets tested a lot by reporters who want to test the photographic of course, memory. How do you not? And he hasn't he hasn't slipped up yet. Man. Yeah. It's very impressive, actually. It really is. So it's funny because they say that photographic memories aren't in psychology. They say that's real. And the way that you can test that is if you tell somebody to read backwards or something like if you you know if they give them a piece of paper. But I have a friend that actually can tell you almost. You know, I have a very close friend that he can tell you something like he's read in the daily news, like in the middle of the page, right there, the word, and he can be very specific. That's amazing. Yeah, I think so. So I get a couple questions before I let you roll, and they're more related to just just relationships in general. What does networking mean to you? I think networking gets a little bit of a bad rap because a lot of times people think about networking as a bunch of like salespeople handing cards to each other. And networking really is more about enjoying spending time with people and getting to know them a little bit and not looking for something out of that conversation. So if, you know, I'm somewhere, I I would rather relate to somebody on a personal level. And if we wind up exchanging cards at some point, cool. If we get to the conversation about what we do, that's great. But, you know, I'm much more about personal connections. And I think 
getting to know somebody a little bit aside from what they do before talking about that is the best way for me to network. That's what's worked for me. You nailed it. That philosophy, that way of thinking is is precisely what networking really is. How has that way of thinking and acting benefited you or contributed to your success today? Well, I think it's important to give credit to everybody that has helped me get here. It's not just my own mindset, but it's the, the influences of, I've had from people, whether it's Frank Bolton or our assistant GM, Doug Cohen is an incredible uh, right-hand man to me and somebody that without his help, I wouldn't be in the position I'm in. But family, friends, people that have really impacted me on a personal level, you know, you take whatever experiences you've had with you. And for me, it's always been about trying to make a personal connection. And what that does to me is it makes me more comfortable. Like if I can't connect with somebody personally, it's kind of difficult to have a productive relationship because you're genuine when you get somebody, when you feel like somebody understands. But I think that that's helped me earn trust more quickly, which hopefully has helped the business. But I've never really looked at it that way because it's not really, that's not genuine. You know, if you're, if you're trying to be genuine, it's not genuine. But I just try to be someone that's easy to talk to for people and uh, truly try to make a personal connection and then kind of let it flow from there. Are there any things that you do? Are there any questions in particular that you ask to try to get to know people on that kind of level? Yeah. What do you enjoy doing? What do you like doing outside? You know, we're sitting at a chicken dinner or something, you know, so what do you enjoy doing? You know, but most of the time, because I'm fortunate enough to work for the ducks, people ask you, you know, about the ducks and it, it really does give a nice soft entrance to a conversation that a lot of people would have a difficult time with. If I was selling paper, that that's a tough start, right? Uh-huh. So, you know, so having Dunder Mifflin's ducks, not fair. I love <laughs> Dunder Mifflin, man. I, I say all the time, like, I would love to work there. Imagine yeah. that. Like, you're sitting there, like, to get all this entertainment for free. <laughs> Fantastic. Mike, I, I really appreciate you carving out time to sit down. Thanks share, for having me. Yeah, share your story talk about the ducks for those listening what a great place good energy obviously wally's fantastic yep. and you could just tell like i said it all starts in the it starts and ends in the parking lot yeah and I thank you man yeah so. absolutely <laughs> yeah thanks again i appreciate thank you. that thanks for listening to conversations with connors a network wise podcast if you or someone you know is looking for a career change building a business seeking to expand sales or is just generally interested in improving your overall health and happiness Then head on over to NetworkWise.com to gain access to a plethora of resources to help you build your networking skills and community. Those who are ambitious will network. The ones who succeed will network wise.